You are listening to the IFH Podcast Network. For more amazing filmmaking and screenwriting podcasts, just go to ifhpodcastnetwork.com. Welcome to the Bulletproof Screenwriting Podcast, episode number 336. Film entrepreneurship is living a few years of your life like most people won't, so that you can spend the rest of your life like most people can't. Mongo Wilder. Broadcasting from a dark, windowless room in Hollywood, when we really should be working on that next draft, it's the Bulletproof Screenwriting Podcast, showing you the craft and business of screenwriting while teaching you how to make your screenplay bulletproof. And here's your host, Alex Ferrari. Welcome, welcome to another episode of the Bulletproof Screenwriting Podcast. I am your humble host, Alex Ferrari. Now, today's show is sponsored by Bulletproof Script Coverage. Now, unlike other script coverage services, Bulletproof Script Coverage actually focuses on the kind of project you are and the goals of the project you are. So we actually break it down by three categories, micro-budget, indie film market, and studio film. There's no reason to get coverage from a reader that's used to reading tentpole movies when your movie is going to be done for $100,000. And we wanted to focus on that at Bulletproof Script Coverage. Our readers have worked with Marvel Studios, CAA, WME, NBC, HBO, Disney, Scott Free, Warner Brothers, The Blacklist, and many, many more. So if you need your screenplay or TV script covered by professional readers, head on over to CoverMyScreenplay.com. Now, today on the show, we have filmmaker, film entrepreneur, Michael Gallagher. Michael is one of the co-founders of Maker Studios. And if you guys aren't familiar with who Maker Studios is, it is the studio that was sold for Disney for $1 billion, give or take $100 million here or there. And they were basically one of the first YouTube studios. And we're going to go all into how he was able to help create uh, Maker Studios and a few years later was able to sell it to Disney for an obscene amount of money. And from there, he was able to create the YouTube sensation films, The Thinning and Internet Famous. And now he has his brand new film called Funny Story. And we discuss how he's getting it out there, how he, he, he got distribution, how he got screwed over by distribution uh, companies early on his career, some earlier of his uh, feature films. And we also talk a little bit about how he's doing some guerrilla marketing on how to get the word out on Funny Story and all his tactics on how he's been able to get this film out so much so that when he reached out to me, I knew about his film purely because of his guerrilla marketing style and what he was doing that most independent filmmakers aren't doing. So without any further ado, please enjoy my conversation with Michael Gallagher. I'd like to welcome to the show, Michael Gallagher, man. How you doing, brother? Doing well. How are you? Thanks for, for having me. Thank you for, ha- thank you for being on the show, man. I truly appreciate it, man. I, I, when I, when you guys reached out to me, I was like super excited to talk to you because I, I've known of your work in the past and, uh, you, you're unlike any other guest I've had on the show because of your history with the internet and with the YouTube and that, and the new wave of entertainment that, has kind of moved in. So before we jump into all of that, 
Uh, first and foremost, uh, how did you, I'm afraid to ask because you're a little bit younger vintage than I am, but, uh, how did you get into the business? <laughs> Cause <laughs> but like, Oh, what is five years old? I shot three features. I'm like, shut up, just shut up. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. Well, I, I'm from San Diego. Uh, I'm 30. So I was born in 1988. So, uh, yes, but growing up, you know, I was always in love with, you know, storytelling indie film um you know I, I read you know rebel without a crew when i was like i don't know probably 13 or something <laughs> and so i kind of just started getting like obsessed with that sort of like 90s indie film movement of like tarantino and Bob rodriguez and kevin smith of like these guys that were just like going off and somehow making a movie but then as i got older i started noticing that like the path of those guys, as soon as they did it, that doesn't exist anymore. It's like Sundance, that whole thing that changes yeah. <laughs> as soon as someone like gets in the door, that door shuts. And now you got to find a window or a crawl space or something to get into the industry. So I was just, I kind of kept it open mind and, you know, I was a little daunted of like, how do you make feature films? And so I just started, you know, as a kid, just doing short films, I would, you know, with my teachers try and um, pitch doing a video project instead of having to you know write a book report or something so like even in school like fourth grade fifth grade sixth grade like even really young like that i was editing on imovie and just kind of you know taking my dad's camcorder <laughs> and just going out and shooting stuff you know not not none of it was good let's just start there none of it was actually it shouldn't be it shouldn't it shouldn't be yeah but i i started taking it more seriously and then um in high school uh, my parents, I was like begging my parents, like, I got to go to some kind of film school, film camp, whatever I can find. And there was this thing at the New York Film Academy in Burbank um, that they had a high school summer film program. So I went to that at 14 and shot 16 millimeter film and cast SAG actors. And I was just like hooked. Like, I've, I'm not a drug person, but that was my drug. I was like, all right, I'm 14. I can cast SAG actors. Game on. Let's do this. So then from like then on in high school, I'm in San Diego, cap putting out, you know, actors access notices and like casting SAG actors and running auditions at like Doubletree conference rooms. And, you know, I'm just being this like ambitious film kid. And then I would submit to local film festivals and, you know, just try and get better and, you know, do 48 hour film contests. Like I was just all, I was all in just trying to figure it out. And then, you know, eventually that led to, you know, uh, when YouTube came along and that, and the partner program, I saw that people were able to just make whatever they want, put it on YouTube and actually get paid for it and get seen and get an audience. And it seemed, you know, I was kind of doing that with these shorts, like not spending a lot of money, just putting it out there. And I was honing my skills. I thought, okay, well, what if I could take the filmmaking side and apply it to this new media kind of concept? And that's how I started uh, totally sketch. And I just started making weekly sketch comedy videos, you know, on a whim like that and you know, it, it took off. No, which is, which is fu the funny thing that you say is that you, you were, you, you saw that wave in the nineties I mean, you were very young, obviously, but you saw that whole concept of the 90s. By the time you started to really figure it out, that, that party was over. So you you realized that that wasn't the way to go. I, on the other hand, took 20 years to learn that lesson and thought that it was the 90s all over again. It was trying to do the exact same thing that Robert did and Kevin and Quentin and all those guys. And it sure. took me a long time to figure that out because, and this, is, and this is my truth. I don't know if you know about this or not, but in 2005, I was on YouTube. I was put posting tutorials on how to make films on YouTube in 2005 before <laughs> anybody had even thought of doing anything like that. And then of course I said, I said, 
And you can look, they're still up on YouTube. There's like 13, oh, sure, sure. yeah, they're, they're 13 years old or something like that. I looked them up the other day. I'm like, oh my, really bad compression because YouTube was horrible, horribly compressed yeah, yeah. back then. And then I, and I just said to myself, I don't know if you've ever run across this. I'm a real filmmaker. I don't, I don't put stuff on YouTube. I don't teach other filmmakers. How to, I'm, I, that's not why I went to film school. I'm, a, I'm on a tour. And yeah, um, there's definitely a classy, uh, a classist sort of system of like Vimeo, YouTube. And at that time, Vimeo was like the classy place for all film, <laughs> all filmmakers, short films. Uh, and YouTube was sort of like a, you know, like a, a loud party that was <laughs> right. Dang, you know, but I just before. wish I would have just stayed on because I would have literally owned the entire <laughs> space of making showing you how to make movies at that point. Yeah. Can you imagine if I would have just made content all that time? Um, right. It was, would have been insane. But I'm all right now. You don't. No, nah, but yeah, but still, but still, I'm, I'm still a very angry and bitter filmmaker. But uh, <laughs> but what I find fascinating is that you were very open minded to this new medium, and I think so many filmmakers, even in today's world, they're not open minded. They stick to their like, oh, I'm only going to do this, or I'm only going to do that. And you said, well, wait a minute, that's not working anymore. This is the new thing. Kind of like when guys jumped on Vine, when Vine was a thing. There was a small window of opportunity there. There was a small window of opportunity when YouTube, like you could make an obscene amount of money on YouTube when the partner program yep. started and things like that. That window closed. Now it's like you got to work a lot harder to make remotely that much money. Am I, is that correct? Yeah. It, these things, like uh, exactly what you're saying, there's like a short window as something's kind of new and exciting and, and untested. And the people that get in in that moment and just give it their all, sometimes they they succeed. And then- as soon as they've succeeded, big business comes in and says, wait a minute, <laughs> like we can't just let anybody do this. Wait, wait, who made a million dollars? Who did what? And then all of a sudden they just start buying everything up and then close the doors and then no one can get in because it's all corporations now. And then it's like, now you got to find a new wild, wild west to like go in and <laughs> right. and go make your mark. You know, it's, it's, yeah, because in, in the 90s, it was the indie films were the wild, wild west, Sundance and those kind of things were the wild, wild yeah. west. And then... We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. Then it, it turned into other things and then eventually YouTube. And now it's streaming and being on streaming shows and things like that, which you have experience on as well. And, and I, I'm curious to see what the future I mean, lies right now, because there's so much competition. Even when you started, there wasn't as much competition. Oh, yeah. You know, well, there really weren't that many filmmakers on YouTube. Like, I mm -hmm. think I'm, I'm like a crop of like uh, five people, maybe. When did, <laughs> when did like, you start? When did you start on YouTube? When you on YouTube, um, 2009. So it was like the beginning of 2009. So you were right before um, after the par partner program had like just started, and so it was like right around the time like Freddie Wong. Yeah, I was about to say Ro Ro Rocket Jump. Yeah, yeah, Rocket Jump, uh, pre Rocket Jump, Freddie Wong, and then um, you know Julian Smith, who's uh, you know great comedian, and also he just film and edit and do everything behind the scenes. And, um, but most of the, the people on YouTube at that time were personalities that were just literally broadcasting themselves. They were just, you know, turning on a webcam, you know, dressing up like Sarah Palin or Obama or whatever was popular. Britney Spears. Right, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's like anything that was kind of like to get the clicks and, um, and they would, you know, they would do comedy, but it was sort of unpolished, un, you know, presented, uh, and, and what I saw was, okay, there's all this talent, like this is a big talent pool, but there's not really anyone guiding that talent. And so I thought my contribution could be, well, what if I bring like the, the filmmaking I've been, 
you know, honing on my short films and music videos and local commercials? What if I brought that to the talent that's on YouTube? And so literally when I first started totally sketch, I would do, you know, sketches with actors and things that I would cast just like I was doing in San Diego. Right. Um, but what I would also do is send out emails to the top YouTubers at the time and say, Hey, you don't know me, but here's, here's my body of works. I had my short films on Vimeo. I had, you know, things Obviously. That, were up that looked nice. Yeah. And I said like, look, here's my work that I've done. Here's this new channel. I would love to produce for you a free sketch, a music video parody or whatever. Let me handle all of the production. You, you would just be the talent in it. And in doing so, maybe you could also then be on my channel and we could do a sketch or something together, collaborate. So I was just like giving like, Hey, you want a free sketch? You want a free music video? I wasn't asking anything of them other than, can I give you, you know, can I give you my services? And that approach worked really well. Well, obviously. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Because people would see my work and they saw, Oh, it's not, you know, this isn't like podunk, like this actually looks good. You know, right. oh, this short film played at a bunch of festivals or, you know, this music video, I, maybe I've seen that music video online. And so I just started getting, you know, I was collaborating. And the first person I collaborated with was this um, YouTuber, Alpha Cat, who was the premier Obama impersonator on YouTube. And he he was like the guy, like he was doing all of these, um, uh, it was you know, Beyonce sort of spoofs. So, you know, <laughs> like but as Obama and it were really funny, but he didn't have like a producer director behind the, the scenes. And so we produced this whole music video for him that, and I wrote the, uh, you know, the first draft of the parody, but it was, uh, Jamie Foxx's blame it on the alcohol. It was called, uh, blame it on the economy. And it was about like the economic crisis that we were going through. And he was like, Oh, well, let's just get all my pals in. And so we called, uh, Lisa Nova who did Sarah Palin at the time. I called my buddy Richard Ryan to play Joe Biden and we just did this crazy music video, but it looked legit and it actually got picked up and they showed it on the view um, because it was such a like viral video at that time. And um, but from there, that that kind of helped explode me on the YouTube scene. So then everybody saw that video in the community and said, whoa, who is this guy? Like we need to hire him to bring bring him in. And so he can just sort of bring that filmmaking style to what we're doing. And then that's kind of, you know, that's how I got in in the club, so to speak. So, so again, for everyone listening, take some notes here. You offered your services for free because you were smart enough to provide uh, provide service and be a value to people who you were trying to to connect with and to work with in one way, shape, or form. And all you had to offer at the moment was, I've got some skills. I've got some production. i got something that you don't have. I'm not asking for anything in return. Just let me work with you. And it worked out. It worked out for it fairly okay for you. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Out. Well, it was it was funny because just like in high school, anytime I had any money, if I made any money, if I, you know, from like grandma gave me like a check for a hundred bucks or something for, you know, birthday, <laughs> it's like any money I would get, I would put it into film equipment. So like at the time I like saved up, I got an HBX, you know, I got a, a you know, Panasonic HBX at the time was like a big deal. Uh, oh, yeah. And then, got, and then I really saved up and, uh, you know, like summer jobs and doing like short films and such. I, uh, I got uh, a Kino flow kit. I got two, four megs. Just rocking, <laughs> dude. You're like no. pimping. You're pimp. Yeah. Can you, can you imagine that time of a time of YouTube to show up with like an HVX and a Kino kit? It was like literally showing up with a, like a freaking steady cam and a Panavision camera, <laughs> like with full 35 exactly. on a student film back in the eighties. I mean, seriously. Yeah. Yeah, so I was like, I had a pretty, you know, robust because I had like an airy, I had a three point airy lighting kit, 
and that, that was used that I I ran it to the ground <laughs> and then uh, I had the keynote flow. So within my setup for the shorts and things I was doing, I could light pretty much any scene as long as there were, you know, no more than like five people in a, in a frame. <laughs> uh, so, but, it, and it would look really good. So it kind of helps set things apart because lighting is such an important part of filmmaking and, and just kind of elevating that sort of HD look. Um, but, uh, but yeah, that, that really helped just because people would see, and I was calling in favors left and right, you know, kids I went to film school with, friends that I met at parties that, you know, was a DP, someone in sound. And I would try and pay people as much as I could. But in the early days, it's like, you don't have money. So you're just, you know, you're calling favors. You're, you're finding collaborative, excited people around you that want to participate. And that's what I did in the early days of YouTube. And then as it, you know, kind of spread, I, I still kept that mentality of keeping it small, keeping it low budget because, you know, you can make money doing YouTube, but the more money you spend doing it, uh, just the less money you can make because there's sort of a sort of a cap on the whole thing at that time, at least. Yeah, there was a you were there wasn't the, the millionaires weren't being made just yet on YouTube. It was it was pre pre millionaire days at that point. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but but yeah, it didn't very, very true. Now, you you also came up with a fairly that cool idea called Maker Studios, if I'm not mistaken. You're one of the co-founders of Maker Studios. So yeah, I'm one of the co-founders of Maker Studios, but uh, I, it wasn't my original idea. It was okay. actually, uh, so from that music video shoot that I did with Alpha Cat, um, so Lisa Nova came and uh, Danny Zappin was her boyfriend at the time and her brother Ben Donovan, they all both, the, the three of them all came to the shoot and they saw what I was doing and they said, oh, well, we got to talk to this kid because we're about to start a company and we need some filmmakers to be a part of it because we right now we have the talent. What they had been doing is, they had been going out and they had this idea of creating sort of like the Saturday Night Live of YouTube. Like, what if we got the top, you know, performers and put them all together and made a super channel? And then we all promoted that super channel and, you know, got it to a million subscribers in like a day. And then what if from there we got brand deals and we kind of just helped get everyone paid? And that was sort of the concept of uh, a early day. It wasn't even called Maker then. They didn't even have a name for it. And so they... I, I remember going to um, Starbucks over in Venice with Danny after that shoot. And he's like, yeah, we're going to do this thing. We're going to, we're going to mess. We're going to disrupt the whole industry. And he's just like, you know, <laughs> wearing like clothes from target, like drinking a coffee <laughs> saying like, yeah, I got, I got all the top YouTubers involved and it's going to be great. Like you in, like you got you to dedicate the next year to this thing, man. <laughs> and I, you know, it sounded good, but it also sounded like, maybe a Ponzi scheme, maybe, <laughs> maybe I'm going to be selling microwaves door to door in like a week. I have no idea. I mean, it was just like, you know, sometimes people are all talk and you have no idea. So in this, in this business, out. I can't see it. Not in this business. No, <laughs> stop it. <laughs> but, but, uh, I vetted him out and I talked to some people around him and it seemed legit and it, it seemed like he did have these people. So I, I agreed. I said, okay, I'm, I'm in, you know, I will, I will come on because they didn't really have any money. They didn't have you know much to start. It was like, we're all going to just donate our time. We're going to, we're going to come in and invest in ourselves and collaborate on this thing. And so it was really like, if, if we're not all a part of this, we're not all lock, lock step, it's not going to happen. And I showed up and I remember going to their house and it was, you know, it was all the top people on YouTube at that time, which, you know, this is 2009. So it's like Phil DeFranco, Shay Carl, Shane Dawson, Dave Days. Uh, Lisa Nova, 
there's there are more, but at Casm G, it was like all the people that had like hundreds of thousands, if not over a million subscribers at that time and getting millions of views on every video. So it was like, oh my God, I'm with the Illuminati of YouTube. <laughs> and I'm like, me and Danny are like the only filmmakers on this thing. Everyone else is out there on on camera talent. And, you know, and we want to like, okay, kids, play nice. Let's all come together. Let's come up with the name. Let's figure out what our videos are going to be because we're we were just making sketches. We want to start stockpiling and putting them out there. And so that was really the beginning of what Maker was. But but from that process, you had so many cooks in the kitchen and you had so much creative, you know, kind of like top talent. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. Or the medium that it was really difficult to get everyone to agree on what was comedy, what was the funniest thing to do, what what was our style and taste. And so some people had R-rated senses of humor, some people were really family oriented. And so it was just a lot of debating of what are we even gonna make? And from that kind of creative friction came this idea of, well, rather than all of us doing one channel, what if we empower each creator and give them the resources and tools and support them for whatever they want to make rather than force everyone to work together. And that's really what Maker became is like, how do we empower the creators to go off and, and make whatever they want? Because, you know, all these people are just in their bedrooms kind of doing their thing. And if we gave them a crew, if we gave them, you know, a production budget, if we gave them, you know, resources, locations, producer, you know, we could really up everything. And so that was kind of the model. And um, it just took off because all the top creators, they wanted to to make cool looking shit. And so right. that's, you know, that that spread. And then it was like, hey, everybody, whoever wants to join, just kept scaling up from there and getting attention in Hollywood, et cetera. So, yeah, I mean, this is still in a time. So Maker Studio started in what, like 2010? 2009. It was, some, it was 2000 because I started Totally Sketch in March of 2009. And oh. Maker started July I think it was like, yeah, July 4th. So that was, that's, a, that's a pretty quick, pretty quick. You didn't spend a whole lot of time uh, grinding it on YouTube before things started up for you, man. You were what we like to call that the right place at the right time. Uh, it's kind of like uh, Michael Gladwell's book, Outliers. It's like, that, you, have you read that book? Oh, I love that book. Yeah, it's 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 kind of like everyone's like, oh, it's they're they're perfect. They're geniuses. They never have to do anything. No, they were born at the right place at the right time and they had the right skills when they showed up. Like when Robert Rodriguez shows up in '91 with El Mariachi, you can't show up now with El Mariachi because he'll never he would never even be seen. No one would even know who right. he was. So it was all about the specific timing. And you, man, you hit it. You were close though. You were you were only about three month right. window. <laughs> <laughs> Three months oh, yeah. This could have passed you right by, dude. This could have passed you right by. I just yeah. want you to be aware of. I want you to be aware how close you came. <laughs> oh no, I'm it's hashtag blessed. Hashtag blessed. <laughs> so you start 2009, and then and then uh, at that point, YouTube is still fairly much of a oh, what the heck's that thing? No one yeah, probably was at the thing. time. Everyone thought we were nuts. Everyone thought the company. It was like, what you're going to start? You're going to double down on YouTube? Everyone thought it was stupid. <laughs> He's like, you're doubling down on the internet streaming thing, Netflix, whatever. Uh, so, yeah, it's kind of like when Blockbuster had the opportunity to buy Netflix for 50 million bucks and they said, no, we're good. We're good. We're good. We've got these rentals things. We're good. Yeah. Brick and mortar is the way to go. That's the future. The brick. This internet thing's a fad. Uh, so, so, so Hollywood, when did Hollywood start taking notice? And when did you guys start making some like serious money? Cause you started 
I mean, it is looking back, it's a fairly genius move. It's insane at the time. And that's generally the way all these movements start. When you look at it at the time, they're like, you were insane streaming movies over the Internet. Who's going to what? It, it seems to say now you look at it and go, well, that was genius. So you guys had a, a, a small, a small version of that. Well, not that small, but a, a version of that in the YouTube community where you double down on YouTube, which I would have told you the same thing. Like, you guys are nuts. Like, no one's watching. Um, but it, it, it seemed to work out for people like Gary Vee and those other guys who, who just kept making videos and yeah. nobody was watching. But one day someone watched. <laughs> and it kept going. So this this small time. So you start building building this up, and you start building up the accounts, and you start kind of like I can't say it would be like a, an agency, would it? Like are you rep- you're well, representing they, them? Mm-hmm. It's what kind of what would you call it? It was uh, the term was multi channel network, and so okay. it was the first it was the first idea of well, what if you know each person would own their YouTube channel. I mean, they already, you already have a split with YouTube if you're doing ads with them. And so what maker would do was it would kind of represent your channel. So rather than represent you as a you know talent, it would say, okay, your channel, we're going to help sell premium ads on this channel by talking to advertisers. If we get a brand deal that fits, you know, like let's say you, you know, any film hustle, if you were part sure. of maker, it'd be like, okay, we want, we got this, uh, you know, film company or big movie that's coming out. It's an indie movie that you know, Fox searchlights releasing. And what if we partner with you so you can, you know, do something with the filmmakers and then get paid to do it. And so it was like they were kind of brokering those deals, sort of like what an ad agency would do. Yeah, it was, it was like same. multiple things. It was uh, providing production resources. It was kind of serving as an ad agency and then also make it being a content hub, sort of, you know, how Netflix or a lot of places like they'll acquire things, but then they'll also, you know, provide the, the resources. I mean, they had full production studio. They had equipment. They had. Uh, you know, everything at Maker for, you know, especially DIY stuff. It was DIY, but also for DIY plus where they'd give you like a three person crew or a five person crew or something to go out and shoot YouTube videos. That's insane. And how long did it take before Hollywood started taking notice? Pretty quick. I think um, within like before the end of the first year, I think we were raising um, like some VC money and, you know, kind of Big, <laughs> yeah, I know. It just started. It just started growing, and then people were leaving their jobs at you know, kind of uh, whether it was a big tech company or uh, you know, a, a film studio. They were coming in. Like all of a sudden, we were having executives that were <laughs> I just had had been at you know Disney or they had been at uh, Warner or Sony. And, yeah, yeah, and everyone all of a sudden is just like, yeah, no, I want to work at Maker. That's the hot new thing. So, <laughs> and you guys were right just, at the, you were in the middle of the storm. I mean, that's that's amazing. It's amazing. Like you yeah. guys were you, and there was nobody around you. There was no competition. There was nothing that even was close to what you guys were doing at the time. The only yeah things start popping up pretty quick thereafter. So. And it's always, it's hard to say like what the first thing, I think Maker might've been the first multi-channel network that really had done this. And then very soon around that time was Awesomeness TV, mm-hmm. which I don't know if you remember. I've heard of, I've heard of Awesome too. Yeah. They focused on um, like kind of more specifically teen oriented content because they really were trying to get bought by like a Nickelodeon or, you know, a Disney channel or something like they wanted content that was safe, like kind of age appropriate. And Maker was a little bit wild west of, you know, we're not going to censor you. Whatever you want to do, that's your thing. And um, and of course, that attracted all the talent because there was no censorship. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, there's no censorship. And we're not going to try and control you. Yeah, you can do, you can just continue what you're doing and we're going to empower you. So I think, I think that model really 
appeal to you know the, even the every level of youtuber top bottom whatever um and uh, yeah in 2014 is when disney came in and, and yeah i heard about i heard yeah i heard something about that there was a small company called yeah. disney that decided to buy you guys and it was a it, yeah. no it wasn't in the news at all at the time <laughs> but um if i do remember correctly and uh, i don't like to talk money on the show but it's pretty publicly known that the yeah. maker studios was purchased for 450 million cash and then with a performance bonus up to a, almost a billion is that is that accurate yeah yeah exactly and i don't know how much is public of like where it landed or whatever but those, yeah. i think those numbers are in the ballpark for sure yeah that's not a bad deal for uh, you know a, a young guys who just kind of like got the hvx 200 and the airy kid out and and yeah. you know shot with some youtubers that's you know that 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 shook that definitely sent you know shockwaves through the industry i remember when that happened it was about a year before i launched any film hustle i launched any film Hustle in 2015 oh yeah and I, when i heard that i was like wow this this you and i can't i sound like an old fart but like oh yeah this youtube thing's really kind of starting to blow up oh. now um i should have stayed on there like what was i thinking um <laughs> But that that I have to ask you, man, what was that like, man? You were like, you know, when Disney's like, OK, here's a check. And I'm, I'm not going to ask, you know, percentages or anything like that. But you obviously did fairly OK being one of the co-founders of it. So what was that day like as a filmmaker, man? Like, when you, you know, you Disney is buying you at, at, at a very, yeah, a very good rate, a good rate, if you don't mind. Yeah, no, it was it was pretty outrageous. Um, well, it, it's interesting because we started in 2009 and I had been like day to day with the company until about 2011, like, mm-hmm. you know, to, in about 2011, I was like there kind of making, you know, helping everyone making videos, you know, kind of working on different, you know, branded content and interact. I was doing a lot of interactive actually. And, um, so, but my, my day to day wasn't really, it didn't really go on beyond 2011. I was still my channel. I you know, eventually brought my channel totally sketch into the network and then, you know, would work on, you know, as a director for hire for them and kind of consulting and things, but I wasn't really in the thick of it. So it was fun to actually see every time I would go there, it was like, oh, we're, go- we're going to a new office. Oh, we're, we got a soundstage. Oh, we got a whole block <laughs> of offices. You're right. And then it's like. And then you're, you're, you're trying to make your YouTube videos there. And all of a sudden it's like, Hey, James Franco's in today. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. (laughs) It's like, Hey, Snoop Dogg, he's going to shoot four videos. And it's like, wait, what, what's What's going going on? uh, Right. (laughs) And then I was, you know, they, cause I, I was, you know, very film or a filmmaker oriented, um, they would, you know, they partnered with the, the Tribeca Film Festival. Yes. I remember meeting with like, uh, you know, I remember they flew us out there to for, you know, doing promotion and kind of cross promoting uh, Tribeca. And they were like, oh, do you want to do, you know, we want to um, do like a 48 hour like film thing at Tribeca. Do you want to make a 40 hour film in Tribeca? I said, sure. I'm like, oh, it's like a bunch of groups. It's like, no, just you. And so you'll just do it and uh, we'll have the full support of the festival. And then we're going to screen it at the festival. And like, oh, okay. <laughs> and so I don't know, I'm like 23, 22 years old. And like, we're running around New York and literally like they had like Robert De Niro make a video being like, okay, Michael, here's your, you know, here are the things you're going to do in your 48 hour video. And it's like, what, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> like, it was just, you know, this is a small group of friends in a Venice apartment. And now it's like, we, they somehow got Robert De Niro roped into this thing. Like, 
<laughs> talking to me? Like, can you imagine? I could imagine. Can you imagine that conversation with Robert? Like, it could, like, it's just like, all right, so we're gonna do this thing with these guys called Maker Studio. They're on YouTube, and like, you've got to. There has to be a moment <laughs> when Robert De Niro goes, "What is YouTube? What is this go? What's going on? I don't understand this." It's like, Bobby, Bobby, you got to do this. Just trust me. These guys are big. Just get on the yeah. camera. And I'm sure, I'm sure, I'm sure. He's like, all right, what's this guy's name? Michael. Michael. All right, Michael. <laughs> <laughs> I know. It was, it just kind of, it felt really surreal. So it was sort of like, uh, you know, just kind of had to accept it. Like at a certain point, I let go of, you know, how Crazy. this happened and just yeah. started to say, okay, yeah, all right. <laughs> and we're going to, and we're going to roll with it. We're going to roll with it. Yeah. And, uh, but definitely, you know, uh, and, and just to be clear, I, I don't have like a hundred million dollars. Fair enough. Dollars. Fair like, enough. I didn't, I didn't like come out like a bandit and own an, I don't own like Johnny Depp level islands and things, you know, I got you, got you. Just know that, but I, I definitely, I, I definitely benefited from the sale and as did everyone who was a part of it. Sure. And the, the great thing about it was it, all, it one it set us up in the industry as you know look at these guys they they bet on themselves they went out there and invested in in this uh, this kind of idea that nobody really thought would be anything and look at it now and so it just sort of gave you that sort of like creative capital to then go out and say oh i want to make a film i want to do this you know and you just caught people's attention a little bit more um because you had sort of a proof of concept of saying that we started this from nothing and look where it got to um, you know, moving forward, whether it's just a, you know, you want to do a look, a web series, you want to do a movie, you want to do something it's, you know, people take notice because, um, it just, uh, it did so well. So you're, you're that's, kind that's, of like, the, that's the biggest thing that I I've taken away from the whole experience. I, I feel like maker was kind of like the Google or the Facebook of the film industry. It was like this little startup that kind of shook things up and it was kind of leading the way into a new technology or a new space within the industry that nobody else saw coming. Kind of yeah. like, you know, when Facebook came in and, and did their thing or Google came in like, oh, we're going to do a search engine. Oh, right. Yeah. Search engine. Sure. Like everybody else, like I like AltaVista and uh, Lycos got it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and then, of course, it turned into what it did. And similarly to you guys, you were kind of like the Google of the film business industry in a sense, because it was all Internet based and it was a bunch of crazy kids somewhere doing some crazy stuff. And it all turned out until finally. The big boys finally took notice, but that also sent the message to the, the whole industry is like when someone like Disney does spend that kind of money on a company that's outside the norm, it's sent to the industry. Hey, this is where we're going. This is the future. This is not, you know, this is not a joke because <laughs> we're not spending this kind yeah. of money on a little bit of a, a, fa a fad, if you will. Yeah. Well, all the, um, the film studios, I think reached a point where they weren't investing in digital you know they weren't investing in online content but they were seeing like hey on our on our sheets every uh month or year like quarter we're looking and seeing how much we're spending on digital advertising we're seeing how much we are spending on a company like maker to promote our stuff <laughs> wouldn't it make sense for us to have our own digital shingle here so we don't have to pay somebody else like shouldn't shouldn't we already have that like why are we paying them to tell like they're making just it was some kind of confusing loop for them. And so they I think they ran the numbers and they said, well, how much would it cost for us to start our own? And they ran those numbers and said, OK, it's going to cost billions. <laughs> what if we just acquire these companies that have been doing it independently that seem to have success? And then we will just absorb all their knowledge, what they've learned, their tactics, their 
crew and uh and we'll go from there and so that's what happened and that you saw that with maker you saw it with awesomeness and uh full screen a bunch of other places and that each studio kind of was eyeing the different media companies and just sort of plucking them up and saying okay now we have our branch and uh that's i think that's what really sparked it was was that move of of the eyeballs especially like the, the you know the 18 to 24 and and teenager demographic like everyone no, they weren't watching TV anymore. They were just watching YouTube. They were just addicted to, to online content. And so they needed to be in the game. So to just market their movies, if nothing else. Right. And and it's kind of like what Netflix did for the business. Well, now everybody has a streaming service coming out. You know, I, I own a streaming service. I have my own streaming service, for God's sake. You know, it was all because of, of Netflix and they opened up the doors. And now everybody's like, wait a minute, we, we got to jump on this train. This is kind of where the future is going to be. So uh, and now how did you parlay? you know, from maker into the, into the world of like legit directing, you know, and I don't say I don't mean that in a derogatory statement at all. No, no. You know what I mean by legit, like, like mm. true indie auteur filmmaker, if you will, uh, <laughs> kind of like the guys you, you were looking up to when you were coming up, like yeah. Robert Rodriguez and stuff, you know, how did you turn from, you know, making sketch comedies on YouTube to like, Hey, I'm, I'm I, you know, I, I did the thin, the thinning and the whole, you know, that whole series and, another movie that you just came out with funny story and all these kind of real legit films with like budgets yeah. and like actors. <laughs> <laughs> I know I keep fooling them. I don't know how, don't know but, exactly. <laughs> but what happened was when we were at maker, I really, you know, we'd been doing sketches for a few years. It was like, yeah, 2010. And, um, I really wanted to do, uh, you know, I wanted to figure out how, how am I going to make a feature? How am I going to get in? And I would meet with people and you would say, oh, it's great that you've done sketches and had this, you know, millions of views. And that didn't really matter. They, you know, it was like, oh, well, where's the proof of concept of right. the first feature? Have you done a, why haven't you done a first feature already? Show it to us yeah. and then we'll talk. Yeah. So I was like, okay, this is the chicken and the egg. Uh, oh, <laughs> I, I know. Don, I, <laughs> how do I get the job? I don't have the movie, but I don't have the job. And then how am I going to make money? And so at that point, you know, I lived pretty frugally. I was just saving up and I had a lot of success with Totally Sketch and Maker and just, you know, everything was kind of going with brand deals. And, you know, they're just paying a ton of money for doing, you know, a couple of days worth of work. And so I was just saving all this money. I'm not going on vacation. I'm not doing anything with it. I'm just saving it. And so at a certain point at Maker, this guy, Glasgow Phillips, who had written on South Park and, and a bunch of other cool things, he on spec wrote this idea uh, for what became Smiley, which was a horror film uh, that I, was my first feature that I directed. And he wrote it as an idea of, well, what if we take our resources at Maker and just rather than just do a bunch of YouTube videos, we spend you know three weeks and go shoot a feature. Why don't we do that? And Maker was interested at the time and they said, okay, well, Gallagher can direct it. And so all <laughs> of a sudden I'm like attached to direct a movie. I'm super excited. And, you know, cause I just, at that point, it wasn't about, oh, I have this really personal story I got to tell. It was, I got to make my first feature. I want, I wanted to make the movie more than it mattered what the exact movie was. Like I wanted to just show what I could do and just get out there and just, you know, start playing on the, in the big leagues and playing in the field and, and making something, you know, uh, feature length. And so what happened was maker almost did it and then they didn't. And then they said, you know, we're really focused on, you know, the short form, but if you guys want to go off and, and find the money for this thing, go for it. And so then I became obsessed with just getting smiley made. <laughs> and so we'd go around and we started pitching it and doing that whole thing. And 
And we had some interest from places, but they were like, wait, you want to cast YouTube stars in this movie? You want to cast people who have millions of fans online to come see a movie? Like, good luck. Like, we don't see it. Oh, these people don't see any. I mean, like, you would think that you're part of Maker Studios, which was crazy in the first place. And they're like, hey, guys, we have another idea. You don't listen to that. Like, and I'm assuming the budget wasn't 100 million. So, like, why wouldn't you take that chance? (laughs) No, I, I know. We were like, we can do this for, you know, not like by your standards, nothing, but you know, like a couple hundred thousand dollars max. Like we can do the whole thing. It's gonna be great. Everyone's signed on, you know? And, uh, yeah, it was just sort of crickets. Like people were like, I don't know. It hasn't been done. hasn't been proven yet. And so we said, all right, assholes, (laughs) we're just going to go make this movie. Uh, and so literally at that point, I, my producer, Michael Wormser, who had worked at makers had a production. He had, he had gone off from then and we had just been like dedicated to this movie. And I said, okay, Wormser, if we're going to make this thing independently, what's the lowest number we can do it for? Like, you know, get the movie in the can. Like, what's the number? Mm-hmm. So he crunched the numbers and did it. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. And I think at the time he's like, I think we can get it in the can for like 120000 if everyone's getting paid and, you know, we're shooting in 15 days and the whole thing. Right. And I said, okay. That's all the money I have. Green lit. Let's go. Right. And so, <laughs> so then from then on, we just went and made the movie just, you know, self-funded. We didn't look for any more money. We just, you know, said, okay, this is the resource we got. Let's get this thing in the can. Let's shoot it. And so, uh, so it was just kind of a, you know, a mad rush in 2011 in the summer to just go make this movie. And so we did, we shot it 15 days. Uh, you know, we brought on the best crew we could. We just, you know, kind of went out and made it. And, um, and from there, the movie, we then raised a little bit more money for post and then for, uh, you know, for the release, because what ended up happening is we partnered with AMC Independent, um, which they have this uh, this great program where they will release your film theatrically mm-hmm. if you can provide the marketing and if they like the movie. And so what we did was we presented this whole plan to them with the YouTube stars, with everything. And we said, we're going to go promote this thing. We're going to, you know, we want as many theaters as you can give us and, and we will get it out there uh, and look at how many impressions we can get from videos, from trailers. Because our trailer went out, we put our trailer out like after we shot the movie in November and it got like a million views in a day. And then after that, it was like 10 million views in a week. And now it's, I think, at like 40 million views or something crazy. And so it was just like, it kept exploding. And so Hollywood started calling and people were just freaking out being like, what is this movie? How can we never heard of it? Wait, this is a horror movie? Like Son YouTube star, like, you know, so then that really uh, just kind of became sort of beacon for the industry and saying like, who's Mike Gallagher? Uh, what, what, what? <laughs> he made a movie? I don't understand. YouTube Were you stars? And, you, and you're like, I was in your office six months ago, ass. <laughs> <laughs> literally, literally we were doing that. And so, yeah, so then we, so, but we did it all independent. So that was really my film school was, was taking, is Smiley from the development process through production, through post, and then through marketing, distributing, um, and getting it out there. And we did a 28 screen theatrical release through AMC independent and it was in 14 markets. And, uh, and then, yeah, it came out, and then we, we sold territories at, you know, AFM through our, um, uh, sales agent and, you know, it's it played theatrically in like Italy and the Philippines and Japan. And it was just like this, this kind of crazy indie phenomenon. Like it's surprising how well the movie did, like how far it got out there. Because even today, like around Halloween time, if you go like on Instagram and go hashtag smiley, people in Argentina are dressing up as smiley, like still 
like from last year, just like thousands of people I keep seeing every year, like people sending me photos and things of just the reach of this, this character is kind of crazy. And this was just a really small indie for me for under $200,000. So it's, uh, it was, it was pretty wild. So now, did, did you have any other, prove, that helped prove that as an indie filmmaker, we can solve a big impact. You don't necessarily need, you know, big budget and, you know, huge stars. Like you can, you can work with the team you have around you and really, you know, explode it out. Did you have any other ancillary revenue streams for that movie? Like t-shirts, hats, other things like that. Did you have any merch at the time? We should have. We didn't. actually. <laughs> <laughs> Left money on the table, sir. Left money on the table. Yeah, definitely money on the table. But um, no, the the movie did great and people saw it. And, you know, even though it wasn't like uh, and and it's funny because even though it got out so far, I still I didn't do everything independently. And I really should have, because what happened is my domestic distributor that I brought on for home video and stuff. Uh Oh, they screwed us. Oh, shocking. I can. And just when we're calling them on it, they go bankrupt. So (laughs) I've never heard of a story like that. It doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. It's never happened before. Uh, (laughs) But, you know, and so there's like there's some heartbreaking lessons and things you learn along the way of like, oh, we did all the work. We got the muscle out there. And then just at the finish line, you know, someone is like, thank you so much. And (laughs) we'll take it. We'll take it from here. Did you did you have a did you have a uh, a clause that if they go bankrupt the rights go back to you you didn't was there a clause in there no so I know we're a few years away we're gonna get it back so it's a commute oh yeah okay yeah because it's a thing all right so you'll get it back eventually yeah yeah so it'll be all right Uh, but still still, but that process the good the bad the ugly of making your own movie and distributing it and doing everything that that has those lessons I'm still learning because. Um, cause even with my new movie, funny story, it almost feels like that was my, my, it's my, my first feature because as what I did was I told the personal story. It was something that I had to tell and I did it with friends and I did it as small as I could just like with smiley, but, but smiley wasn't a personal story. It was like a, it was almost like I hired myself for a job. <laughs> it was like, I saw an opportunity and I took the opportunity and tried to make it the best and the, the, the biggest that it could, but it wasn't, it, it didn't have any personal connection to me. It felt like I. Some I felt like multiple people. Like I'm, right. I'm, I'm the financier hiring the director, who's then going to produce it and then going to distribute it. So it was like I had different hats on all the time. And you were fighting with yourself constantly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But but in terms of like a creative thing, it's like I'm really proud of the movie and what we've done with it. But in terms of what I can do as a storyteller and and the kind of st- movies that I want to make, it's it, it didn't really line up with that. And I think people saw that when you know they write reviews or you know whatever but (laughs) you can't control that aspect of it you know you kind of just do thing and put it out there but um but that's the other thing i think people thought we had a huge budget for smiley because it got we had billboards in times square we had you know kind of promotion all around los angeles and you know big release but it was just it was michael wormser and i was like these you know two little producers just going out and (laughs) you know calling clear channel and saying hey can we get a billboard hey we have no money what can we do and then people were just, you know, wanting to help because they thought it was a cool idea and, and why not? And they had the inventory. So we were able to make a pretty big splash with, uh, with you know, a couple of pennies. And then and then you started making some films directly for YouTube Red uh, as well, like The Thinning. Yeah. So The Thinning came about uh, in an interesting way because um, post Smiley, I had all these, I you know, I was repped at, uh, I'm still repped at uh, UTA and, uh, you know, Management 360 and all these great places um, because they had seen Smiley and they'd seen the the trailer and, and all the kind of ruckus we were creating. And they said, okay, we want to bet on this guy. 
So they put me in rooms with every studio, all these production companies, and they're like, what do you want to do next? And I'm like, I'm exhausted. I have no idea. <laughs> what do you guys got? And they're like, all right, well, why don't you go write a script and then call us? Oh, so I was like, okay, that's another lesson learned. Always have your next thing ready. Next um, three things. So, next three things ready. Yeah, next three things. Definitely. Um, you got to have options. Because uh, they won't like the first one, but they might like the third one. You never know. And you're not going to get back in that room again easily. It's not that easy yet. So I, you know, had that water bottle tour of meeting with everybody without a movie. <laughs> or without a project. Yeah. We're basically. Without, right. Yeah. Nothing to pitch. It's, yeah, it's Hollywood masturbation. Like, as we like to call it. Yeah, so <laughs> I got a lot of free waters. It was great. And then, uh, <laughs> but from that, I learned, okay, it's not about me coming over and seeing what they have. They want to see what I got. I'm the generator. So, okay. That's how, as a filmmaker, you need to look at these things. And so what I did was. I spent the next couple of years just head down writing. And so I enlisted Steve Green, who's my best friend, and we'd been doing all these sketches and writing you know, comedy bits. I said, hey, uh, let's write movies. We can figure it out. And <laughs> so, because I never really, I'd never finished a feature from scratch. With Smiley, I, I came on it and did some rewrites and polishes and kind of adjusted some things, but, but it wasn't, it, I didn't start, it didn't start and end with me. And so that was a new process. So Steve and I just kind of like head down, wrote every, read every screenwriting book there is, and we just started going. And so everyone was saying, you know, maybe write something, you know, maybe write from a personal place. So the first thing we wrote was Internet Famous, which was a parody of all these YouTube stars and the ego trip and the ridiculousness of the YouTube world. Mm-hmm. So we wrote that as like a mockumentary comedy, kind of like a best in show in tone or spinal tap. And uh, yeah, and everyone was really excited about that. So we partnered with Lakeshore. And uh, they financed the movie through their off the dock, which is their digital division. And they said, "Okay, well, what you did with Smile, let's try and do that with with Internet Famous, but do it with YouTube stars making fun of themselves and it's a comedy. It's all lining up. So then we just kind of we but now it's a story that it's like I have some basis in (laughs) because I generated the thing. And so uh, we we put this great cast together and uh, went out and shot it. And then uh, Netflix bought it. And so it's out on Netflix now. And um, that was that was cool. That budget was under a million, but it was um, but it was definitely a huge step up from where I'd gone before. And um, and then at the same time, when we were writing all those scripts, like you said, to have three projects ready, we had written five scripts and we took out, you know, we were taking them out and seeing what the agents were responding to. And the other one we wrote was The Thinning, which was, you know, dystopian teen thriller. And uh, so we came up with the idea for that. It was sort of like a what if we what if we created a Hunger Games event, but for YouTube? What if we created like this big kind of spectacle that, had, but but it was really just aimed to never come out in theaters, but just like be an event on the internet? Because most people, they were just dumping things that they couldn't get distribution on the internet, as opposed to like, what if, what if we make a spectacle for the internet? We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. And so we thought that would be cool. And so we pitched that around and then Legendary, they had started a digital division and they loved the script. And so, and it was funny because when I met with them, they were only interested in series. And then there had been like one or two other like digital movies that came out post Smiley that started getting like good press. It's like, oh, they're making money. They can do this. As soon as they heard that they can make money making features for the internet, all of a sudden our phone rang. <laughs> oh, well, of course, because they made, because it's like, oh, how much is it? How much do you need? That's coffee. Yeah. Money. Sure. Here. <laughs> exactly. 
So we went off and 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 got to make the thinning with uh, with Legendary, and then they sold it to YouTube Red at the time, um, which was I think they had just started that as like a premium content division, and uh, and then it became like the biggest movie that they had ever you know biggest show or anything that they had ever released like in terms of viewership like it just exploded, and so immediately they greenlit a sequel, so we did the thinning New World Order, and you know it was just kind of like all of a sudden, you know all this hard work and like putting your head down writing it's like oh now we're just making movies every you know it's like we were doing like two movies every other year it was like just oh my god we're doing two a year like going from zero to a thousand it's crazy right um (laughs) but it was fun i mean it's uh it's been a kind of a wild process to to go from having everyone question you and kind of like not Mm -hmm. understand what you're going for to then everyone calling and saying like how do we work with you how you know, sending scripts, sending digital stars over being like, can you put them in a movie? You know, Ugh. we got, we got $300,000. Can we make a movie with this kid? <laughs> and it's like, what? I don't, that's not really how you make a movie, but. <laughs> oh, they do. They trust me. They do make movies just like that. <laughs> I know. I know. I had to turn some of those down. You know what? The, you know, what's funny because I, I'm, I'm looking, I'm looking forward in the future and you're going to be one day 60. And you're going to look back and you're going to be like, yeah, I was there at YouTube when it started. Yeah. And I was just like, yeah. And you tell these stories and people are like, you mean there was a world when there was no video on the internet? Like, is that a world that I would want to live in? I don't understand. One day your generation is very interesting. Like our generation, my generation's the uh, Gen X are like, we're the in-betweeners. We're like, we, we had one foot in the old and one foot in the new. So like we were around before the internet, but we definitely were there when it popped. And yeah. you, you, you have no idea. Like you, you said you were born in 88. I was walking, I was going into high school in 88. So yeah. <laughs> there's a slight difference, <laughs> slight difference in perspective, but it's fascinating. That's why I love talking to, to, to young filmmakers like yourself, especially ones that have had a lot of, a uh, lot of success in what they're doing. Cause I'm always fascinated with stories, uh, like how these different windows that open up and then how you leverage that window to take it to the next step and, and so on. Which brings me to your new movie, Funny Story, that I've actually been seeing billboards all around town. I've been like, as I drive by, and I've like, like, and that's why when it came through, I was like, oh, Funny Story. Yeah, that's that movie I keep seeing everywhere <laughs> on like every second bus thing I see is, is, is there. So I don't know who's your marketing and PR people, but they're doing a good job <laughs> spending that money because okay. it's, it's out there. No question. So t- because this one looks more serious. It does. It, it looks mm-hmm. a lot more serious. It's, a, it's not... Um, smiley it's definitely not insta famous yeah. uh it's it's definitely a little bit more like a serious filmmaker so tell me a little bit yeah. about that well i think after doing uh i don't know i guess it was like four or five of these kind of youtube sort of digital features um i was known as the digital guy and so i could get into any room with you know as long as it was starring someone with x amount of followers you know i was up for that job <laughs> and good place to be that was interesting it's a good place to be. It's a great place to be, but also there's a frustration because I didn't, I never intended for that to become, you know, sort of the branded digital guy. I wanted to be more, you know, just a filmmaker amongst all filmmakers. And um, I was working in a specific medium and kind of trying to break open this, this area that we thought, um, that we thought needed to be open. Um, and so with funny story, it was kind of a, a going back to, you know, the, the filmmakers that I grew up on and the, the people that inspired me to first start um, and try and tell a movie and try and tell a story that didn't um, require 
to, you know, you have to have cast somebody that has X amount of followers that, you know, has, has this many Instagram things. And <laughs> it's like, this, it's not about the, the result. Uh, I want to do something that wasn't result oriented. That was really just, we're going to go make this because we're all passionate about the story and the characters. And, and I want to show as a filmmaker what I can do. And so that was the, that was the spirit of making funny stories. So, um, so we wrote this movie and I was really inspired by like the Duplass brothers and Joe Swanberg and, and these guys that were just like going off, you know, they call it mumblecore or whatever, but it's like, yeah. go off without really a script, maybe just an outline. We're just going to go, you know, make this. That's how I made my first two features. I love this. Yeah. Which is, which is great. And so I started with, okay, well, what can I do? You know, I need limited location. I started thinking back to like, you know, the YouTube days of like, how do I just go off and make something? Right. And so I was like looking at all the resources I had and the people I knew. And I started writing parts for to the people around me and to really talented actors that I had kind of gotten the pleasure to work with. And putting this thing together, I, I outlined a, you know, full feature. It was like maybe 30 pages. It was like a, a script that just didn't have any dialogue. It was it's a scriptment. It's a, it's a technical it's a term. Scriptment. Yes. Oh, they, thank you. Yes. So I wrote a scriptment. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> And it, it was the whole movie, but it had no dialogue. And I try, I was like, you know, I was a little cocky because I had made some other movies. They're like, okay, I think I can get funded off of script, man. Okay, it can't be that hard. And mm. everyone was like, mm. no dialogue. Interesting. And your last name is not Duplass. Not going to work, buddy. <laughs> you never done this before. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know about this. And then, so then they started making me kind of question it. And I was like, ah, shit, maybe I should maybe I should add some dialogue to this thing, <laughs> maybe. And so I started, I said, st- and then I started thinking about, well, if I really go and do this on the budget that I think I could just go off and make it, uh, I, I think it's, it's too much money where I want to risk the idea of maybe I don't have the answer because I, I think it is sort of like jumping out of an airplane without, <laughs> without the dialogue. Cause you really have to trust in everyone around you. I just got cold feet, honestly, about uh, trying to do that. And I still want to do it someday. But at that time, I was like, I don't think I'm ready to do no dialogue script and <laughs> go make it. It takes, a cer- it takes a certain amount of balls, sir. It does truly take a certain amount of balls to do that. So my balls were up in my body and saying, <laughs> I haven't dropped yet. I haven't dropped yet. So then I called Steve Green. I was like, Steve, I got a scriptment. I want to turn into a script. Let's let's do this. And so we we powered together. Uh, I think it was like four or five days of just like 12 hour sessions of us just locked in a room, just, at, you know, acting it out, writing dialogue, making our, each other crack up. And then, and then I had the full script and then it was like a 90 something page script. And we went off and I just cast people that I'd either worked with before or met with that I knew were just going to be passionate about this thing. The, the crew, everybody, everyone got paid. But it was from the spirit of, we don't know what's going to happen with this thing. We're just going to go and do it. And that set is the best set experience I've ever had because everyone was there for the right reason. I never actually felt that before mm-hmm. with everything else I'd done. There may maybe been a few people who were really excited about a project, but on a certain level, like you, you, your, your crew, your cast, like they're making a lot of stuff. <laughs> it's hard to get that genuine enthusiasm of like this we're doing this because we love it we love making movies we love we love this story and that set it felt like everyone was there for the right reason they had this spirit and this excitement and i it just i don't know it just it, it shows in the movie i think and so 
we went out and we submitted to film festivals. And last year, yeah, we've been touring with the film. It got into um, the Slam Dance Film Festival in their Beyond category because I'd already done more than uh, it was my first feature. And so uh, from there, it kind of like other film festivals were reaching out. And then we just kind of toured with it for the last year. And so I played, you know, like in one crazy awards, like Breckenridge Film Festival and Woods Hole and, uh, and I don't know, I mean, what Washington West. I mean, there's just like a million, like all these regional film festivals that just the movie was really resonating with audiences. And, um, you know, we were like, it would play at places and then they'd add screenings and it would sell out. And it was just like, there was this weird buzz about the movie just, you know, within these communities, we weren't really promoting it. It didn't have any, <laughs> there wasn't much to promote on the film festival circuit. You know, you can put flyers up and things, but, but we didn't even really do that. It was just word of mouth. So it was kind of spreading and other film festivals were asking us to play. And, um, and then this last year we got it out with uh, blue Fox entertainment and we did a, a few screen theatrical day and date with, um, VOD and such. And, uh, yeah, the movies just, you know, it's gotten great reviews. It's just been really warmly received. And it's, uh, you know, it's this little movie that we went off and made that, you know, we didn't have a marketing. And so I, I all I did was, you know, the advertising that you've seen, that's just me calling up places I did with Smiley saying like, hey, we made another indie. You have any inventory? What do you got? Like, we'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show what kind of deal and so you know we just call these places up and then you know got billboards and got um you know bus benches and all that kind of stuff hey can i ask you i don't know if you if you're able to tell me this or not but what do those things kind of cost i have no idea what a, a, a bus bench costs or a, or like those like i've always seen them and you always think they're like these like fifty thousand like yeah. crazy expensive like is it a is it literally affordable to do that like if you have a little it bit is. of money if you have a little bit of money, it is affordable. Yeah. Um, I think I don't have the exact numbers offhand, but I do know that, you know, we negotiated with the companies and just, you know, we said, look, we're not, you know, Lionsgate or, <laughs> or a small indie, you know, movie coming out. So if there's inventory that you have, or if there's a deal you can cut us, like, let us know. Cause we'd love to consider, you know, working with you guys. And so I think for bus benches, I think the company we went with, they do a minimum of 10. And so you have to, have to get 10 of them. But per unit, they're not crazy expensive. It's like three hundred dollars or something per bench. So I think like three thousand, around three thousand. I think you can get ten benches in LA for a month. For a month, yeah, for four weeks. That's insane. It's insane. Oh, guys, anyone listening, you're gonna start seeing indie film hustle banners all over <laughs> Los Angeles. I'm just saying, you're gonna be like, is that a is that a podcast with a bus bench? Like, is that a thing? I'm like. Oh yeah, it's gonna be a thing. Uh, <laughs> that's insane. That's the thing is, like, I, I don't know. I, I guess I was never afraid of like just asking. trying to Google something or looking and just asking. Yeah, because the worst thing that's gonna happen is they're gonna say no, get lost. <laughs> and so, and I've had that happen to me, and that's okay. And it's like there's a few outdoor advertising companies that are not filmmaker friendly, and that's okay. But then there's other ones that say, uh, you know, you you have a connection with somebody and you tell them your story. And they want to help you. I mean, people want to help each other. It's just we so rarely are we offering our help to others. Are we asking? It's hard to even ask for help sometimes. But if you if you can be willing to accept whatever the answer is, then you might be surprised by people because I don't know there's there's other passionate filmmakers out there. Maybe I have a desk job at a marketing in an ad agency and they're like, yeah, I want to help you in L.A. Be in that position someday. In L.A. Never. I can't believe that. Uh, (laughs) 
what I find fascinating is that you are known for being online, being on YouTube, understanding online marketing, understanding online branding, and yet you use legacy advertising methods um, as part of your whole overall, you know, plan. Why do you, what kind of return, what ROI do you think you get from these kind? Like, would it make more sense to spend those $3,000 on, you know, focused Facebook ads or YouTube ads, as opposed to, are you going to get a better ROI on that than bus benches? Look, bus benches are cool as hell. And I'm, I'm seriously thinking of getting some, but, um, but on an ROI standpoint, like what is it really going to do? Well, there's, there's different ways to think about it. If you're just concerned about ROI or just like the kind of money you're going to make, you know, from sales, I I don't know that outdoor there's like a one-to-one of, you know, a bus bench equals this many downloads or rent. No, of course, of course. Yeah. It's uncontrollable. I do have a a theory about advertising and about um, selling something, which is that if I haven't heard of it, if I haven't seen it out in the wild, then it's harder for me to as a consumer just to watch a movie to listen to a song to stuff like i need to i need to have been in i need to have almost been bombarded by it in three different ways like if i saw it out in public i saw a pre-roll ad on on youtube and then i see it on apple tv on you know as like a, a premium movie then it's like oh i've seen this before and then i'm going to check it out as opposed to something like i've never seen and all of a sudden it's just on itunes or it's just on amazon I think it's a harder, it's a harder purchase for me to just go in blind and just search around to see what's mm-hmm. out there. It's true. It's whereas true. If, whereas, whereas if I have the impression I've seen the, the, the key art a few different times, um, and especially different mediums, I think really help. Like even, and I really toyed with this and I think next time I'll do it is, um, you know, getting pre-rolls on podcasts. Um, because so many people are listening to podcasts and they're in your ear. Um, um, it's, it's like, so I'm, I'm available. I'm, av- I'm available, sir. <laughs> I am available. You let me know how you want to cut that deal. We'll make that work. But, um, but, I mean, it's like, and it's like, oh, in your ear, you're hearing funny story, May 24th on, you know, in theaters and on demand. And then you're seeing it. And then it's like, now you're on Apple TV and it's like, oh, I've been told it. I watched it. I saw a trailer and now the movie is, you know, trending or whatever. It's in, you know, recent discoveries. Now I'm going to watch it. You know what this funny thing is, though, what your theory is, is exactly happened because it happened to me. Because when your poster showed up in my email box, I said, oh, that's that movie that I saw on the bus bench around the corner. And it added a sense before I even knew who you were or like and got and delved into who you are in your backstory. I automatically associated, oh, this is a real movie. Yeah. Purely because of the legacy, the legacy marketing that you were using, like because I know. The impression in my mind is a YouTube ad is not going to cost nearly as much as a bunch, a bus bench. <laughs> yep, yep. Not nearly as much as a billboard for God's sakes. That's like, that's what the studios do. So you already, for your small little indie movie, you've already put yourself in the box with the studios because of, of that specific move. So it is working. It worked on me. Uh, and that, was, that was, that was the first time I, because honestly it was like, oh yeah, this, and I, and I saw that poster. I'm like, oh, let me dig in a little bit because I get barded with requests to be on the show all the time. But when I saw that, it stopped me. And then I said, like, oh, let me dig in and let me investigate who, who's who's Michael Galley. I'm like, oh, okay, fine. This makes a lot of sense now. But it was the, it was the initial, but honestly, it was the initial um, looking up. And, I, and it's not one billboard, by the way. I've seen it like three, four times all yeah. around, all around LA. So it, it works. It works. 
that's good. I'm glad I'm glad it's working. And yeah, just so you know, it's not like, oh, we hired some big company to do this. It's like, no, it's it's me. It's me making phone calls. Like it's not still hustling, baby. It's still hustling. You know, you think it's that point. I, I don't know. I haven't gotten to that point where I'm like, oh, I have a whole staff and everyone's just doing everything. It's like, no, I'm still I'm looking at I'm creating marketing assets. I'm cutting trailers. Did I'm, you make the you poster? Know, Did you make the poster? I didn't make the poster, but okay. I, you know. I know my limits. <laughs> <laughs> it's a nice poster. That's what I was saying. It's a nice poster. Yeah. It was good. But uh, but the the bus benches I did make. So I took the key art and then I remixed the elements. So I can do that. So, you, know, like, you know what I mean? So it's like I can, I still want to, you know, I still have that indie film spirit in me of like, I'm just going to go and do this. <laughs> That's great, man. That's awesome. Now, I, w- I wanted to ask you something in regards to this whole influencer phenomenon, mm-hmm. which is basically going on right now and has been going on for many years. Do you think that this is going to, like in 20 years, are we going to talk about influencers anymore? Like, do you think there's a window that's going to close there? I mean, the, I think the window to be an influencer is it's tighter now than it was five years ago on YouTube, on Instagram, on Facebook. You know, there's specific places where certain people are making their name. Remember all the guys at Vine and girls at yep. Vine, they were like, oh, I'm a huge Vine person. Well, Vine's gone. And then you're just like, oh, oh let's just post them all on YouTube and see what happens. Like, it's like, yeah. So do you, what do you, yeah, where do you think, you know, from your, I'd love to hear your perspective of where do you think this influencer phenomenon is like influence marketing, which is, you know, you guys kind of, you were one of the the first people to actually do influencer marketing and now it's become a thing. What do you think and how it's going to, you know, pan out in the future? Yeah, I think uh, you you see someone like Dwayne The Rock Johnson, Mm -hmm. you know, and I think we're not far off from him just releasing his own movies on his own app. Or something, you know, where because you have somebody who is just a brand and it doesn't matter if he's doing ballers on HBO or if he's in, you know, Jumanji or something. It's like at a certain point when he makes enough money, he doesn't need the studio. Yeah. And so you have a brand and it's like if you like Dwayne The Rock Johnson, like you just you either subscribe to his app or it's like he can just market directly to his fans. And so I think the follower kind of concept on all these different social media platforms, I think it might collapse into an app or something like that where everyone just has a base and then they're just, you know, providing content to that base and they, they can sell fun. And whether that's Kim Kardashian or, you know, uh, Alex Ferrari or whoever. First of all, stop putting my name in the same sentence with <laughs> Dwayne The Rock Johnson or God forbid, Kim K. But... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> please, please stop it. It's, I, yeah, I've got yeah. you. Fo- I've got you fooled, sir. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what I'm saying. But I, it doesn't. You know, it doesn't matter what your brand is. But I think each person, it, what influencers are, they are a brand. And what do they mm-hmm. sell? It's themselves. It's some. It's something about them. And some people, you could argue, have talent. Some people don't, and they're just personalities. But they can attract people, and whether and uh, it could be from from anything. But I think um, the collapsing of the different platforms will happen um, at some point. And, and I think it'll take someone and it could be, you know, you have these traditional folks like Tom Cruise or something, um, or it could be, you know, uh, you know, some kid on YouTube with the, you know, just doing this whole thing. And it's like we learn that, like, OK, all of a sudden PewDiePie has his whole little empire off his app and he's making 40 million dollars a month or something. And everyone's like, wait, what? We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. And then it'll take something like that happening where then everyone jumps in. It's, and that's not, think, it's not that far away, man. We're far off. Not at all. Far off. 
Yeah. I mean, I got, I mean, I literally have a, a streaming service, uh, which yeah. is an app, which you download. Yeah. I'm not making 40 million a month. Let everybody know that I'm not even close to yeah. as many zeros. I'm not even close to that many zeros. Trust me. <laughs> but it is, it is at a certain point. That is something where I think, like, I think, I think someone like Tom Cruise, who's a little bit more traditional as far as his age and where he came from. I don't think he's, he's not on the, he's just not there, but I think the rock is that hybrid. He's the guy who came up. He's like the middle, he's in the middle. He's like, I'm yeah. before the, the, but I'm, I'm embracing it and I'm built for this medium. Uh, and he is, he's built for the, the medium where the young and the older following him. And that's who you need. Uh, so yeah, like, like him. Bill Smith. Yeah. He's, yep. he's like, legit he's killing it. YouTuber. <laughs> he, he is right. He's like literally yeah. like on the set of bad boys three. With like the guy who did um, Bel Air, that 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 great great trailer for Bel Air. Like if they, they you oh, you yeah. saw that right? Oh, oh, it's so great! It's yeah. so good for everyone. That, everyone did, it's like the dark, down and dirty like Eminem style, eight mile style of Prince Bel Prince of Bel Air, and it's so freaking good. And you got Will Smith like talking to that filmmaker on a balcony in Miami, just like, hey man, we're here. Like, are you vlogging, Will Smith? Are you really? Are you vlogging? Will Smith? He's a weekly vlogger. Yeah, he is. He is. And he does these motivational things. He's yeah. So like he, he saw it. He saw it. He's like, oh, I got to jump on this. This is, this is where it's going to be. And he can leverage his traditional fame to a, a platform like that, where people like me would follow him and young, younger people who watch the genie will follow him. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> And, yeah, uh, I think you're, I think we're going to see more of that in the future, um, and, and whether that's people jumping on a pre-existing platforms and just utilizing their celebrity to kind of bring people in. But I, I do think, you know, with the subscription models and the apps and things, I think we're kind of getting to a place where if they could have it all under one hub, and you know, Apple's trying to do that. Apple's trying great. to do that. Apple's trying to do that, and I think uh, it'll take a really big personality to just triple down on themselves and do it. Who has the capital? Um, and maybe it's a company investing in the rock industries and just like doing it that way. I don't know. But seven, I, I do seven think bucks. I think his company's called seven bucks. So, uh, cause he had oh, seven bucks. Yeah. Bu yeah. Seven bucks. He when he, seven bucks when he started. Yeah. <laughs> <so>. <laughs> no, um, this is fascinating. And I have to ask this question because I think people would hurt me if I didn't ask this question. Do you have any advice on building a YouTube channel? In today's world, camp. in today's world, not in 19, not in 2009, not 2010, yeah, yeah. in today's world. That's a good question. Um, well, I think there's there's things that you probably heard that uh, I think still apply, which is you got to come up with a brand, whether that's yourself or you're a gamer, you know, gaming or if it's indie film, it's tips. Um, be consistent to whatever your brand is, because so when you go to the grocery store and you want orange juice, if you take an orange juice container and there's milk in it. doesn't matter how good the milk is. People want orange juice. <laughs> like in terms of branding, like I think that's really important for YouTube. Like you think of it like a product that you are selling and it's you, it's your story. It's, you know, your, your films, your content. And so if you create that brand, be then set a schedule and be consistent to that schedule, like live and, or die by that schedule. So if it's weekly, if it's daily, just do something manageable that you can commit to. And before you launch, I would stockpile at least a month. So that way you're not like, mm -hmm. you know, if something comes up, then you're not screwed or, mm -hmm. you know, having to be like, Hey, you guys, sorry, I couldn't post this week. Like, Can't I don't do think people watch with that. Um, just do it, you know, just like commit to it and do it. And then, um, and then also don't be afraid to collaborate with people who are 
similar to you. Don't be like, oh, everyone's competition. It's like, I wouldn't think of everyone as competition. I think of them more as your peers and collaborators. And there's maybe a way that you can provide value to them. So in the same way that I was just cold reaching out to the personalities and saying like, hey, let me make you a star of your own, you know, video creation that I will produce for you. Um, whatever you can provide, if you have audio equipment and you notice somebody who's doing a podcast doesn't have audio equipment or that they should, they should have that. Maybe you could offer to, you know, let them use your studio or whatever. I mean, there's a million different ways you could think about this stuff uh, of what you can provide to people, whether that's in person, whether that's, you know, just shouting them out. Um, there's a million different ways, but, uh, I think offering value in exchange for collaborating, um, is always a good way to go. And, um, and yeah, and then I think, I think just being consistent in doing those things, I think that's like the, the groundwork because uh, it's hard to give advice when you don't have like a specific. Uh, <laughs> no, it's a very it's a, it's a very broad. But like you look at yeah. something like uh, Gary Vee, was he was he was arguably one of the godfathers uh, of the Internet streaming space because he was there before YouTube. And he, he and for people who don't know who Gary Vanderchuk is, please look him up. I mentioned him on the show before. He's he's doing okay for himself now, uh, but he created that wine channels, uh, wine t- uh, wine library TV thing, and he would just every week just do these wine tasting videos. Like what's what's a good wine with Oreos? What's a good wine with this? And he did it for like I think like two years with like barely anyone watching because nobody was online. And then one day Conan O'Brien called because when they like, hey, we need a wine expert and they looked him up and he was the only guy. And they said, well, he's got 200 episodes. He must know what he's doing. And then the rest, <laughs> as the rest, as they say, is history. And that's why a lot of people ask me about my podcast and like, how do you like, how'd you get there? I'm like, dude, like I got 320 as, as of this recording, I think like 320 something episodes. And I'm like, it's because I did two podcasts a week because I'm psychotic. And I just kept and I just every week. Every and, and you, well, it's because you you kept consistent, but more importantly, because you started. A lot of people don't even. Start. Yes, yes. As a as a, as a quote, I it says like the bet the best right. I think it was like the best writing, the best writing you never did is better than the worst writing you no, no the best writing you did is the worst writing you never did or something along those lines. You know what I'm trying to say? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Like just get up and do it. Yeah. yeah. And I think Mark Duplass has a quote. It's like the 80% rule because he's yeah. a perfectionist. And I know a lot of people are perfectionists. And they're like, I can't start something else is perfect. But he has an 80% rule that, you know, if it's 80% there and it's like, oh, there no. might be like this 20% fuck up. It's okay. Just like accept it. Say 80% is good enough and go. Because I don't know if you'll ever get to 100%. I don't, I never feel like anything I've ever done is 100%. Um, that's like perfection is, I think, unattainable, but 80% is attainable. <laughs> so uh, I, I, it helps sometimes in a, in a pinch. Yeah. And I think 80% uh, or perfectionist, I think a lot of it's just as, as, a, as a, a cloak for fear. You're just afraid of moving. You just, that's a great excuse. I'm like, oh, it's not perfect. I got to go. Oh, I, I need that red camera. I can't shoot. I can't shoot with that red, without a red camera. I, I know I need this actor. I need this much money to make this movie. You don't have these illnesses. You just went out and said like, hey, I'm going to go make stuff and I'm going to go do stuff. And I'm sure that the videos that you guys were doing at Maker Studios are not 100%. Uh, they're not. They just no. like, let's, <laughs> no. But no, definitely not. not. But like, if you look even at the Mark Duplass, you look at Puffy Chair, he just went out with a camera and he just shot. Yeah. And he's like, it was, I don't even think it was at 80%. I think that movie was like at a 40 or 50% when he started. He's like, let's just go make something. But yet he made something. I always tell people. There was something just, there. There was something there, there. There's something there, but at least you got to just go out and try it. And if you fail, yeah. you fail. 
Just do it at a low budget. And I can speak as someone who's gone out, you know, it's like that whole like live life in the arena. You know, it's like, don't be afraid to like go out there and just, you know, get attacked and have tomatoes thrown at you and you know get stabbed every once in a while. I've had, I think I've every mean thing has ever been said to me and every bad things ever happened. So I can tell you I bounced back. So it's going to be okay. You're going to be all right. Now I'm going to ask you a few questions. Ask all of my guests. uh, If you don't mind, you have to, you still have some time. Uh, Yeah. All right, cool. What advice would you give a filmmaker wanting to break into the business today? Um, the advice I would give for a filmmaker breaking into the business today is to do something that you're passionate about. Don't worry about the results. Talk about something you care about and put it out into the world and um, and things will be uh, things will be good. Now, can you tell me what book had the biggest impact on your life or career? Um, I would say... Rob Rodriguez's Rebel Without a Crew. Definitely. I read that book like 10 times. So good. It's like this great diary of his time in, you know, doing like lab research and like trying to like fund his movie. And he was like doing like all these experiments with food and things. And he's like going off and like how he made El Mariachi and then the whole process of taking it to Hollywood and then getting funding and then just kind of going off to the races. And it's a really, it's a really cool book. And even though that path doesn't necessarily exist for us now. It's a great way to see like the the chutzpah that somebody has in their early stages of like, just got to go off and go make it with the resources you have around you, the locations, the people. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. And, uh, you know, tell your story. Have you ever read, have you ever read his second book? The, about uh, about the making uh, the making of his second movie, Road Racers. I haven't no. So if you can find a copy, because I had a copy, I sold it because it's so damn expensive now. It's rare. It's rare because they pulled it off the because I think his agents pulled it off the um the uh, the market because uh, so this is what happened. Just a, just a little bit of a knowledge about this because I'm a huge Robert fan, so I go deep with yeah, Robert. Yeah. It's about his movie, his second movie, Road Racers, which was like a, I think a, uh, a Showtime or Cinemax uh, movie. Right before he did, the, he did Desperado. They wanted to give him something else to kind of, you know, cut his teeth on. And it's his entire experience working with a film crew, like a professional film crew. And he hated it because he was like, they're like, he's talking crap about the DP. He's talking crap about uh, everybody. He's just like laying on everybody. These guys are because it's his diary again. It's the same right. process as uh, Rebel Without a Crew, but for this. And he's like, I'm just trying to get on my wheelchair and push, but no one wants to push me, like to do my dolly shots. And they're like, what do you do? That's not how we do things. He had a horrible time with that. But I read that book. I did get it. It took me like six months of waiting, but it's available on Amazon. It's like a hundred and some dollars now if you want to buy it. It's a paperback, but it's so so good. So good. Uh, (laughs) Now, what is the lesson that took you the longest to learn, whether in the film business or in life? Yeah, I think the lesson, uh, the lesson I've learned it took the longest. That's interesting. I would say, I would say that, you know, through the process of, of making things that you never really know how to make something until you've made it. And then once you've like, let's say you film, like, well, as soon as I'm finished making a film, I'm like, now I want to start because now I know, now I know uh, exactly I get how it should go. <laughs> and that until the next making one. stuff. Yeah. The next and then, one. then you have to apply it to the next one. But unfortunately it's like those lessons would be so great if you could then start from <laughs> your end point to just go back in time, have that groundhog day sort of device, and then just go start again. 
because I always feel like it takes making a movie to learn how to make that movie. Um, and each one is unique and special in that way. But but you try and take whatever lessons you can and apply it to the next one as, as best as possible. You know, um, Spielberg, that, that Spielberg's, Spielberg's still learning. He still says, like, on every movie, I learn something new. So if Steve is still learning, we're probably all still, we're all still learning. <laughs> <laughs> now, what is the biggest fear you had to overcome in making uh, your first features or your, or your first work in general? Mm. I think the, the, my first fear is my first fear is not is not finding collaborators that want to collaborate or want to listen to you or being steamrolled by others, you know, okay. because yeah. I started with young. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so when I, I was on set of my first feature, uh, I was the youngest person on set, like younger than the PAs. And, uh, so I was mistaken. <laughs> I, I, nobody knew who the hell I was. And so it was just, I don't know. It was like the feeling of like being a fraud. I had to get over that imposter syndrome. Yeah. Um, yeah, I had to get over this imposter syndrome of like, I, what am I doing here? Why, <laughs> how come I'm the director? Like this shouldn't happen. And, uh, and so I had to get, I had to find that confidence in myself to say, no, I should be here. And this is why. And then that, that just made it. Like, and it's not yelling at people or being rude or doing anything to like throw around your power. It's more of just like an internal thing. And so that, that took me a few projects to really get down of being confident in what you're doing, the story you're telling and how you're going to do it. Because then if anyone comes up with an idea or questions you on something, it's not like, oh, they're attacking me because that, that's like an insecure way to think about it. It's more of, no, they want to understand it. So they're asking you a question. And then if you're confident in yourself, then you can you can always be able to articulate that to, to any crew member. So it's, it's having the confidence of uh, in yourself of what you're doing. Um, yeah. I, by, by the way, I used to be the youngest guy in the crew too. So enjoy it while it lasts, sir. <laughs> oh, no, that, that ship sailed already. <laughs> I see everybody on set now. And they're like texting. They're like, hey, what's going on? And they're like, oh, yeah. And then they say something. And it sounds like gibberish. And it's like, oh, you're talking about some some app I've never heard of. I'm an old man. Okay, cool. <laughs> Like I was saying earlier, like you're like, oh God, on YouTube back in the day, I tell you. <laughs> exactly. Now, uh, and uh, this is the toughest question of all, three of your favorite films of all time. Oh my God. All right. Well, I'll just say the ones that come to the top. Sure. Of the head Perfect. Uh, all right. So there's uh, Big Lebowski. Yes. Brothers. Yes. That's very high up. <laughs> yes. Um, I think the next one I'm going to say is uh, Ed Wood. By I Tim Burton. Love, oh, I love Ed Wood so much, dude. I saw that in the theater when it came out and I was like crying, not because it was funny, but because I was in pain for Ed as a director. Oh, every direct, every director should watch that movie. It's so beautiful. It's so good. <laughs> and then another one that I love that doesn't get a lot of love. And that's why I'm going to mention it is uh, Before the Devil Knows You're Dead. And it's Sidney Lumet's last movie. Oh, yeah. And it's starring Ethan Hawke, Philip Seymour Hoffman, Marissa Tomei, Albert Finney incredible movie oh my god it's so badass michael shannon's in it i mean everyone's in it and the acting is incredible the filmmaking it's like it's so aggressive he's like 80 something years old doing this movie and it feels like a like a really badass indie director went off and made their first gritty crime movie it's so cool i don't know what happened i think it was a distribution thing it just didn't get a lot of love but that movie is great and i recommend it to anyone did you read his book making movies Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. I read that before making anything. It's so good. It's such a good book. I read that too. I was like, Oh my God, you're in there with him. You're like there. 
going through it with him. It's so awesome. Now, where can people find uh, a, a funny story and, and find people and find more about you? Yeah, so uh, you can go to funnystorymovie.com, but it's also available on Apple TV, Amazon, uh, available to rent or buy, um, and, uh, you know, Spectrum on demand, all that kind of stuff. And then um, uh, you can find me at Totally Sketch on Twitter, Instagram. Um, yeah, I'm not that hard to find. <laughs> Just look for the dumb face. And, uh, <laughs> Michael, man, it has been an absolute pleasure talking to you, man. And it's been great uh, getting into the the history of YouTube almost like you're you're like a historian, sir, uh, of, of, of the of the of that movement. It's it's great. And it really is great. Uh, I had I had one of the co-founders of um of uh, Rocket Jump in uh, as well. And we talked about their days, but you have a very unique perspective on it all. And again, it, there, if everyone listening, there isn't just one way to do it anymore. Like before, there was just one way to make it in this business. Now there's thousands of ways, which is scary, but exciting at the same time. And you are definitely proof of that, sir. So thank you for sharing your knowledge bombs with the tribe today. No, thank you, Alex. It's a pleasure to be here. Honor. <laughs> thank you. I want to thank Michael so much for being on the show. I really, really appreciate him coming on and being so transparent and honest about his uh, failings, his successes, and everything in between. So thank you, Michael, very, very much. If you want to get links to anything we discussed in this episode, just head over to the show notes at bulletproofscreenwriting.tv forward slash 336. Thank you so much for listening, guys. As always, keep on writing no matter what. I'll talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to the Bulletproof Screenwriting Podcast at bulletproofscreenwriting.tv. 